This morning, starting off, I want us to be very sure, and I want you to hear it. I want you to listen. I want you to be very sure again this morning, there is good news. We have good news. Sometimes we get so overrun with the bad news of the day that I'm afraid we lose sight of that. Well, listen, church, there is good news. Folks, understand we have a hope that does not fade. We have an anchor that yet holds. We have a future that has not been robbed away, all because we have a Savior who lives. We have good news today. Praise the Lord, we have good news today. Now here's the deal. The world needs that good news. In God's plan, we are called to be agents of that good news. That is the purpose of the church. I think sometimes we lose sight of that. We start to think, well, the church is some boring organization or some legalistic, judgmental organization, and we mope around and we drag in. I saw some of you coming in today. <laughs> and we forget we have good news and we are agents of that good news. We have an awesome mission to tell the world of a resurrected Savior. There is good news. Well, today we continue our study in the book of Acts. And today we continue our study for the church on the mission of sharing good news. That's the mission of the church. Well, the church that endeavors to take that up, to do that, this is a study for that church. Today we've got a whole mountain of verses we're going to climb over. Acts chapter 23, verses 12 through the end of the chapter, verse 35. Acts chapter 23, verses 12 through the end of the chapter, verse 35. Our message today is entitled, Watch Out. Watch out. Now, I'm going to read all the verses in just a moment, but I want to start today by reading some verses out of 1 John chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. You can turn there or you can just listen. I'm going to start off in 1 John chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. 1 John chapter 4, beginning of verse 4, says this. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of of error. Greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come and we rejoice today. You are faithful. You are gracious. You are kind. You are trustworthy. So we come and we exalt the name of our Savior, Jesus, today. We worship you. We truly pant to know and to draw closer to the living God. So Lord, I come as I pray as we've come today, I pray that you would Speak to us in your word, that you would lead us through your word, that it wouldn't just be a, a, a reading of verses, maybe just a passing on of information, but that you would truly speak supernaturally to the hearts of your people. I pray if there's some that are listening that do not know you, I pray in the hearing of true good news that today, this very day, might be the day of their salvation. Lord, we, we do praise you. We do thank you. We do exalt you. I hold all this up to you. I pray in Jesus' name, 
Amen. You may be seated. In our study here in Acts, I believe God has really been bringing us along in the last few weeks. Now, what I mean by that, I believe he's been doing that all the way through, but I think in the last few weeks, he is talking to us. He is building and shaping us, and I believe it is personal, as personal as we'll let it be. If we'll listen, I believe God is actually speaking and leading and building and shaping us as his church. It's not just a historical reading of what God has done in his church, but I believe this study is a guide for us, preparing us to actually be the church. Lately, we have seen how we relate to the church. That was a few weeks ago. We have seen how we relate to the church. We find that we are the church. We, as believers, we are the church. And we see that as the church, we must draw near to Christ. Now, that's a big understanding. Our commitment is not to the church. Our commitment is to Jesus Christ. Then it is expressed through his church. As the church, our power, our courage, our direction, our peace, our purpose is found in drawing and staying near to the person of Jesus Christ. And so we've seen how we relate to the church. We are the church. Then we've seen how Jesus relates to us in the church. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that, how Jesus relates to us in the church. We saw that he sees us, that he stands beside us, that he encourages us. I like that, that understanding, that translation is he lights a fire inside of us and he promises to use us. I want you to be very sure today, God's plan as a follower of Jesus Christ is to use you. Now hear that. Some of you start to discredit that as fast as you hear it. Well, I'm too old or I'm too young or I've done these things or whatever issue you want to throw up. Listen to me. As a follower of Jesus Christ, God's plan is to use you. He has a purpose for you. And if you will draw near to him, if you will submit to him, he will use you for that purpose. Listen to me. God will use you for an eternal purpose. That is his plan for believers. So we've seen how we relate to the church. We've seen how Jesus relates to us in the church. Well, today we're going to go further to another necessary understanding. And today we're going to see how the world relates to us as the church. How the world relates to us as the church. So let's be very sure today, if we are going to be serious about the mission of Jesus Christ, and if we're going to be effective in that mission, we're going to need to know how the world reacts to the mission of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to see in our study. We're going to need to know how the world responds to the church on the mission of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, there are a lot of verses I'm going to read through them, I'm going to explain them, and then we're going to come back and pull our points out for our message today. Now, as we start, remember the context. Remember, Paul has just 
address the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. During his address, during his talking to them, a controversy has arisen, really a sharp division broke out. The Roman commander has taken Paul away for his own safety. In verse 10 it says, and he was fearful he'd be torn to pieces. It is that serious. The controversy has arisen. There's a, a sharp division and for Paul's own safety, the Roman commander has taken him away to the barracks. All right, I'm going to start with our verses today, beginning in verse 12. Again, we'll work our way through them. Verse 12. When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul, the Bible says they had formed a conspiracy. It is a word that means a riotous group. It most literally translates a twisting together. See the picture, a twisting together of this riotous group. Here we see they bound themselves together under an oath. They are actually swearing by their own death. May God kill them. They say they will not eat, they will not drink, until Paul is dead. They are angry. They are vicious. They are resolved. They are urgent. They make an oath before God. We will not eat or drink until Paul is dead. All right, verse 13. There were more than 40 who formed this plot. It's a sizable group, verse 14. They came to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a solemn oath to taste nothing until we have killed Paul. They go to the rulers of the Sanhedrin. They tell them of their plot. Verse 15. Now, therefore, you and the council notify the commander to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case by a more thorough investigation. And we, for our part, are ready to slay him before he comes near the place. But the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, and he came and entered the barracks and told Paul, verse 17. Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, lead this young man to the commander, for he has something to report to him. So he took him and led him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to lead this young man to you since he has something to tell you, verse 19. The commander took him by the hand and stepping aside, began to inquire of him privately. What is it that you have to report to me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down tomorrow to the council as though they were going to inquire somewhat more thoroughly about him. Verse 21, so do not listen to them for more than 40 of them are lying in wait for him who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they slay him. And now they are ready and waiting for the promise for, for, from you. Verse 22, so the commander let the young man go, instructing him, tell no one that you have notified me of these things. Verse 22, he lets him go. He tells him to go and act normal. Tell no one that you've relayed this message to me. Verse 23, and he called to him two of the three centurions and said, Get 200 soldiers ready by the third hour of the night to proceed to Caesarea with 70 horsemen 
and 200 spearmen. Now, the third hour was 9 o'clock in the morning. He says in the morning, first thing, they're to make their way to Caesarea. Caesarea is a city about 65 miles away. The city was the home of the Roman governor for Judea. The city was named in honor of Caesar, Caesarea. He says, take 200 foot soldiers with spears and 70 men on horseback. It's a large enough group to make sure they make the safe delivery. They're not going to fail in their mission. Verse 24. They were also to provide mounts to put Paul on and to bring him safely to Felix the governor. Verse 25. And he wrote a letter having this form. He sends a letter with them. The letter says this, beginning in verse 26. Claudius Lysus, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. When this man was arrested by the Jews and was about to be slain by them, I came up to them with the troops and rescued him having learned that he was a Roman. I want you to notice something here. If you remember, that's not exactly how it happened. I think sometimes he goes back and he thinks, well, I want to be the hero of that story. And he says, I heard about him and they were about to kill him. And I came and rescued him. Well, the actual story is he had taken him and he had given the order to have him scourged. And so it's not exactly the correct story. Verse 28. And wanting to ascertain the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. And I found him to be accused over questions about their law, but under no accusation deserving death or imprisonment. He says very similar to the case against Jesus. No Roman law had been broken. These were Jewish issues. And he says, just like in the case of Christ, for sure nothing here is worthy of death. Verse 30. When I was informed that there would be a plot against this man, I sent him to you at once, also instructing his accusers to bring charges against him before you. Verse 31. So the soldiers, in accordance with their orders, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipas. Verse 32. But the next day, leaving the horsemen to go on with him, they returned to the barracks. Now, understand this city, Antipas, it is a city 40 miles away. They take him there at night, that night, and then the 200 soldiers are going to return to Jerusalem, and then the next morning, the, the horsemen will deliver him the rest of the way to Caesarea. Verse 33. When these had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. When he had read it, he asked from what providence he was. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, verse 35, he said, I will give you a hearing after your accusers arrive also, giving orders for him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. Paul is delivered, the Bible tells us, safely to Felix, the Roman governor. He is there in the city of Caesarea. Along with him has been this letter delivered. Now, I'm going to stop in the account right there for today, and I'm going to go back, and from those verses, from this part of the account, we're going to see how the world relates to the church on the mission of Christ. In our verses, we're going to see how the lost world, those that oppose the gospel, those that oppose the good news, 
relate to those that are on the mission of Jesus Christ. Now, friends, listen up. Folks, listen up. Be very sure this hasn't changed. We read this and we think, well, this is an ancient account. Be very sure this also is what we can expect today. There's actually a discernible pattern here in what they do. And the, and the truth of that is this. We would be better be ready in the church today. Nothing has changed. This is how those that are opposed to the truth of the gospel respond to those that are on the mission of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We had better be ready in the church today. Okay, so let's look. First off, those that oppose good news, the first thing is this, they will be known by their hatred. Those that oppose the good news, they will be known by their hatred, not for their logic, not for their opposing arguments, not for their position, but folks will know them. They will be identifiable by their hatred. Be very sure those that are against the gospel of Jesus Christ are motivated by, are filled with, and therefore are known by their hatred. Now, I want you to think about the day we're living in. Those that are opposed to Jesus Christ, they're not known for their great arguments against Jesus. They are known for their hate. In these verses here, they say, we will not eat. We will not drink until he is dead. They are filled with rage. They are marked by hatred. Church, be sure today, those rejecting the truth of Jesus are not neutral. Hear me. Those that deny the truth of Jesus, they hate the truth of Jesus. And I'll just tell you, we dress it up and they like to paint different pictures and we sometimes think in tolerance we have to believe this. I want you to be sure today, Islam hates the truth of Jesus. Mormonism, they may come and they may act nice. Listen, they hate the truth of Jesus. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they hate the truth of Jesus. Those that claim to be agnostic, those that claim to be atheistic, they hate the truth of Jesus, and they boil in their hatred for the truth of Jesus. Now, I want you to think about that. If you don't believe there's a God, if you're too smart for that and you're too enlightened for that and you don't believe there's a God, why do you care if I do? Why do you care if others do? And yet you watch them. They rail against Christians. They rail against the Christian faith. We see it all the time in the culture we exist in. They revile believers. Why do they care if there's no God? Here's what Jesus said. John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. They oppose the good news, and they are marked by, filled with, known for their hate. Be sure and take note of that. Second thing, those that oppose the good news attack the carriers of good news. That's the truth. Those, you want to know how to identify them? Those that hate the truth of Jesus Christ those that are opposed to the good news, they attack the carriers 
of good news. Be very sure, listen to this, be sure of this, the truth will stand. I think sometimes we get, well, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Listen, the truth will stand. The good news of Jesus Christ, it will stand. You can have confidence in that. They will get nowhere attacking the good news, and so they attack the agents, the carriers of the good news. Do you know that? They can come and they can try to rail against the Bible and they can try to put all these cases out. But you know what? The good news will stand. They're not going to get anywhere attacking the good news. And so their attack is against the agents of good news. They disparage them. They discredit them. They dismiss them. The proclaimers of good news are attacked. Do you know when you read the New Testament, that's what Jesus said would happen? That's what Peter said would happen. That's what Paul told us that's what would happen. That is exactly what happens today. The goal is to silence the carriers of good news. They say on our life we will not eat, we will not drink until Paul is dead. Let me tell you something. Let me warn you about something. If you want to be talked about, if you want to be hated, if you want to be straight up lied about, if you want to be attacked, friend, you commit to telling a lost world about a Savior we have in Jesus Christ. And I'll just tell you, that's exactly what will happen to you. I think sometimes we think, well, the world's going to rear up and they're going to appreciate that and they're going to love the carriers of the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen to me, the world will attack the carriers of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth will stand and so their only hope is that you will not. That's a pretty profound thing. The hope will stand and so the only answer they have, the only hope they have is that you will not. Those that oppose the good news, they'll be marked by hate, number one. Those that oppose the good news, they will attack the agents, the carriers of good news, number two. Number three, those that oppose the good news, listen to this, they will be sinister in their attacks. They will be sinister in their attacks. Here's the reality. When the goal is to win, and we see it on a small level in just an athletic competition, but when the goal is to win, and when much is at stake, especially life itself, there is no fair fight. Did you ever notice that? When there's a lot on the, on the line and when there's more at stake, especially life itself, there's no such thing as a fair fight. I don't know why we try to try to make everybody believe that. When there's a fight and there's a bunch on the line and it's especially going to come down to the death, there's no such thing as a fair fight. And so when they attack, be sure it's going to be vile. It's going to be mean. It's going to be unimaginable. It is going to be sinister. Look at this account. They plot. The Bible says they twist together this group. And this group, they craft and they lie and they hatch a plan. Paul, their, their goal is that he would, be, he would be laying on the ground, he would be bleeding, silenced in death on the streets of Jerusalem. Same as Jesus, same as Stephen. Believer, I think we better understand this. Be sure and get this. We are in a fight for the eternities of people. 
And I, I don't know, sometimes we get distracted and think, well, we're doing these things and we're trying to do a bunch of good things. Listen to me. As a carrier of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are in a fight for the eternities of people. And listen, it is finished. Salvation is finished and secured in the cross of Jesus. And so now Satan's only hope is that people will not hear of their Savior. It's finished. We have a Savior in Jesus, and Satan's only hope is that they wouldn't hear of that Savior. They wouldn't hear that there's redemption in Jesus. His only hope is that they would not lift up their heads in hope and hear and find Jesus. And so understand today, the fight is vicious. It is not fair. It's all out. It is a battle for eternities. Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle, some translations say fight, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Friends, there is no fair fight. They will be sinister in their attacks. Let me say this. I don't like that, but we ought to expect that. And I think, man, I wish it weren't that way. I, I wish it were a different way, but we ought not be surprised about that. And I'll just be very honest with you. I don't want to say this, but I'm going to say it. Honestly, if it ever starts to ease up, we might want to start worrying if we're still on the mission of holding up the gospel of Jesus Christ. If, if proclaiming the gospel ever gets easy, if walking with Christ in the church ever gets easy, if it ever gets to be so easy that we're not, we're not worried about it, listen, we better start to evaluate and see if we're still on the mission of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. All right, the last piece. Those that oppose the good news, number one, they'll be marked by hatred. They are. Those that oppose the good news, they will attack the agents of the good news. They do. Those that oppose the good news, the gospel, they will be sinister, evil in their attacks. They are. Verse, the fourth thing is this. Those that oppose the good news, they will draw others into their attack. You want to know how to see them? You want to know how to identify them? Here's what they do. They will draw others into the attack. They are never content for it to be just them. I've noticed that. They are never content. They can never enlist enough people. The opposition can never be large enough. And so they seek to pull others in. They seek to draw others in. Listen to me today. Hear me today. This is a telltale sign. Be very careful today. Be, be warned today. Watch out. Those that are opposed to the truth, they always have to upset others. They, they always have to enlist others. Those that are opposed to truth, they always seek a listening ear, someone that they can poison with lies, someone that they can incite to join them. Verse 13, there's 40 men that say, we're going to kill him. Why don't they just kill him? Verse 14, they go to the ruling council and they enlist them. This is how you can join us in this. Let me give you a free tip today. Sometimes you get a bonus free tip. Let me give you a free tip. You might want to write this down. 
Watch out for people that always draw people into sides. And as you go through life, watch out for people that always draw people into sides. The Bible calls that a factitious person, a person that makes factions. Watch out for people that they, they take one group and they make two groups out of that group. Watch out for people, and they're always pulling people aside. Watch out for those people. They oppose the good news, and they're not content for it just to be them, and so they enlist others to join them. Those that oppose the good news, they hate it. They hate Jesus, and so they're marked with hatred. They're filled with hate. Those that oppose the gospel, the good news, they seek to destroy those that take up the name of Jesus. They seek to ruin them. Those that oppose the good news, they are sinister. They are evil in their effort. Their goal is their death, their silence, even at all costs. Those that oppose the good news, they draw others in, and the wreckage is never big enough. You say, wow, how do we overcome that? You say, wow, how can we stand that? And you say, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not sure I can, I can do that. I'm not sure I'm, I'm ready for that. I'm not sure why I would undertake that. I don't need more grief in my life. Why would I ever undertake that? Is it worth it? Why would I attempt to stand? I take you back to 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of of air. Church, hear me today. Listen, we have good news in the church of Jesus Christ. We have a hope that stands today. We have an anchor that has not moved, that will not move. We have a future that is not robbed away. We have a Savior that has paid for our sin, who has defeated death, who stands alive as the remedy for sinners. And in His grace and in His love, He offers that to all sinners. Listen to me. There is good news news today. Have you trusted Jesus? Have you turned to Jesus? He loves you today. He'll forgive you today. He'll save you today. If you have, are you an agent of his good news? There is good news today. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come and I'm thankful for hope that endures. I'm thankful for peace, settled not in the circumstances of life, but settled in an empty tomb, a risen Savior. I'm thankful, Lord, for the forgiveness of my sorry sin. Thankful for reconciliation with the perfect and holy God, not of anything I could have ever done, ever did, but through Jesus. Lord, I, I praise you for that. Lord, I'm thankful for good news that is good news. I pray that there's some that do not know you, that do not know that good news. I pray that today in the hearing of the good news of Jesus, that they would turn to you. They would trust you, sit down their pride, turn from their sins, 
trust you as their Savior, trust you for their salvation, and be saved today. Lord, I pray that that bears fruit even this hour. And then, Lord, I pray for those of us who've trusted you, those who know our hope is in you, that you have given us your own righteousness to wear. Lord, I pray that we would be agents of your good news. And we would spread it in the places we go, that we would spread it in the places we work, the places we visit, that our family wouldn't, would be very sure of it, that those that are close to us would hear there is a risen Savior, that we would be the church, agents, ambassadors of good news. I pray, Lord, that, that would bear fruit for your glory and for your kingdom. Lord, we're thankful for this message. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your speaking to us today. And I pray, Lord, that we would respond appropriately. I pray in this time of invitation, Lord, that you'd remove any hindrance, any pride, anything that would stop someone from hearing, from responding in faith. Lord, I pray the fruit of, of the closing of this service is eternal and brings much glory to you. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response a time of invitation. I want to tell you, it, it, it truly is the most important thing that we'll do today. The time to respond to God's truth. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, turn to him today. If you're here and you've looked for hope everywhere and looked for peace everywhere and you can't find it, I want to tell you, you'll find it in Jesus today. He'll forgive you of your sin. He'll save you today. Turn to Jesus today. Maybe you're here and, and you're walking with Christ, but it's hard, it's tough. Maybe you're here and you're hearing these messages about I'm the church and I'm to be an ambassador of good news and I see folks around me that are hurting outside of the good news. Maybe today's the day for you to renew your commitment. Lord, use me as an ambassador for your message, for your good news. Maybe you want to come today as we close our service and just pray here in an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. The Bible says nothing's too big, nothing's too small outside of God's grace. He tells us to come not in not in timidity, but come in boldness, knowing his love. And so maybe you want to come pray at an altar, pray with me as we close our service. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. If God is speaking to you, if he's spoken to you, if you need more information, you come. Let's settle that today. As we stand and sing, if God has spoken to you, you step out and you come on. I'll meet you here. <laughs>